She's getting it. Stone Creek, what's up? How are we doing? Yeah. <laughs> Woo! Yeah, you're clapping. That's awesome. Hey, this is going to be an amazing day. Uh, last week, we started off a series called The Book of James. Pop quiz. Who wrote the book of James? Somebody said Paul. No, I was kidding. That would be like, oh, I'm leaving. Sean, come back around too. Hey, Sean, last week, you crushed the game. I'll give it up for Sean for a second. Sean, incredible, jumped us into uh, our series for the summer. We're going to go through all five chapters of the book of James all throughout this summer. And so he started with uh, the first half of the first chapter. I'm going to go into the second half of the first chapter. But if you weren't here or maybe you forgot some words that he said last week, let, let me catch you up with a little bit of context for James. So, so James uh, is actually the writer of the book of James. James is the half brother of Jesus. And so, so Jesus was born, right? His, his father was God. His mother was Mary, right? And, and, and then James, some scholars believe James was born next. And James and Jesus had different dads, but the same mom. So, so James kind of grew up as the half brother of Jesus. And, and, and throughout scripture, scripture tells us, I think it's in John chapter seven, that, that actually Jesus' brothers didn't even believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And so, so you can imagine kind of growing up in that world of Jesus being your half brother, you seeing Jesus walk in, walk out. And then Jesus begins to do his, his ministry for three years. Uh, and James is still kind of like, I don't, I don't know if I'm believing you. Brother, I don't know if I believe that you're actually the, the Messiah. And so we, we don't know exactly what happens between James and Jesus through the interactions, but, but James had to have understood the miracles Jesus was committing, the lifestyle he was living. And, and then uh, historians tell us that, that, that towards the end of Jesus' life, James, James begins to kind of like uh, step in a little bit. It's almost like a, a light bulb like went off, but it began to flicker. And James was kind of battling this idea of, Ooh, is Jesus really the son of God? Is he really the Messiah? Is he really the savior of the world? Or is he just a good guy? Sound familiar? I mean, maybe that's where some of us, some of you are in this, this, this morning. Maybe you're kind of battling between, hey, is, is Jesus really the Messiah who saved the world? Or is he just another good guy? Well, James, James was there. And it was recorded that, 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 that James was kind of watching his, his brother Jesus. And then Jesus got arrested. Jesus got thrown up on a cross. Jesus got beaten. Jesus got murdered. And James knew what was happening to Jesus. And, and if I was James, if you were James, we'd be like, oh, man, okay, let's just turn that light off. Let's quit that dance. Jesus was just a good guy because he was murdered and sent in a tomb. So, so James probably checked out. James was probably like, enough's enough. I gave it a shot but now Jesus is dead. Again, and it may sound like your story a little bit, Well, there's been times in your life where you're all on Jesus. You're all for Jesus. You believe that Jesus is the Messiah and the savior of the world, but then tragedy hits. You kind of back out, you kind of close the door, you turn off the light and you're going like, but really Jesus, you didn't show up here. And this is where James was. And then Jesus defeated death. We know the story, right? Like he, he was in the tomb for three days and then Jesus walks out and James gets to experience his brother coming back from the dead. And at that moment, James was like, ooh, light back on, dance over. I am all in, all about Jesus, my brother being the Messiah. And Jesus became a leader of the church. He became a pastor of, of the early church and James was all in. Uh, another weird fact, an awesome fact about James is James is a straight shooter. 
James just goes for it. If you read the book of James, you'll read it and you'll be like, oh, left hook, right hook, jab, like, ah, James is going for it. And we don't know exactly why he, he writes the way he writes, but, but I can only imagine if I was in that tension of knowing and following Jesus, watching my brother be, being the Messiah of the world grow up for 30, 33 years and then finally die on the cross and raise from the dead. If it was me, I'm going, hey, no more red tape, no more fluff. I'm not going to go, hey, bless your heart and then tell you the truth. I'm just going to go for it and tell you the truth. It's going to sting. It's going to land hard. But James was ready. He was like, no, no, no more fluff. I fluffed for too long. Here's my letter to the people. Another interesting fact about James is many historians and scholars believe that James, the book of James, was actually the first book written in the New Testament. Many people believe it was written between 40 and 45 A.D. after uh, A.D. And then Jesus was, died around 33, 34 A.D. So it's a pretty quick turnaround from Jesus' death to James' writing. And we find in verse 1 that James says, hey, I'm writing to the 12 tribes dispersed. And what James, who James is writing to and the, the circumstances around James is actually Stephen, the very first Christian martyr, the very first man who was killed and died for his belief in Jesus was murdered. And the church at that time, just a few thousand, maybe 20,000 at the time, they freaked out and they ran for the hills. Because they just didn't think Stephen was going to be murdered. They, they thought themselves would be murdered. It would be like us as a church, one of us, we go out and because of the gospel and because of you preaching about Jesus, you were murdered and killed. And then you knew that same person was coming back to the church. You probably wouldn't show up here. You'd stay at your homes. You, you would take off out of fear of going, man, I might be next. And so James is writing to these believers going, hey, I know you're scared to death. I know it's just been 10 or 12 years after the death of Jesus. And I know Stephen just got murdered, but I have some things I want to write to you. Will you please, please, please listen? Their situation sound familiar to yours? I mean, just about 13, 14 months ago, our, our world uh, just shut down because of the pandemic. And we weren't meeting here, but we were scattered back into our homes. And maybe you were, maybe you weren't, but, but you were for maybe for a season a day or maybe for the entire time, you, you were fearful of your life of the lives of those around you. And you're kind of huddled back in going, oh my goodness, what is happening to the world? So, so James isn't just writing to those first believers. James is writing to us as well. You ready? If you have your book of uh, your Bible, let's turn to the book of James, James chapter one. We're gonna read verses 19 through 27. Here it goes. It says, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he who looks at himself and goes away at once intent, uh, forgets what he looks like. But the only one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Let's pray real quick. Jesus, I just pray for this time together. I pray for the, the, these people. I pray, uh, man, Jesus, that, that we can uh, be in a place 
uh, in our lives that we can hear the word of God and it can actually change us. Uh, I pray Jesus that, that as people are in this building are listening and people online are listening, I pray Jesus that you uh, translate, transform the words coming out of my mouth into the heart of every single individual in this room and online. And I pray Jesus is your power that changes us, moves us, uh, helps us fall more in love with you. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. So in verse 19, it says this, know this, my beloved brothers. It's like James is looking at his people, at the, believer, the believers of the day and going, hey, listen real quick. Hey, church, look right at me. Hey, 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 open up your chin or lift up your chin. I have something to say. Listen here really closely. And then James says, hey, my beloved brothers. Now, this isn't just James writing to his people back in a different town. This is James writing to all believers but he uses the word beloved. And James isn't just going, hey, hey, real quick, hey, 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 bro, or hey, hey, cousin, or hey, family member, or hey, hey, a church member, hey, I love you. I just wanna let you know I love you. No, 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 James is going, hey, hey, I want to remind you first that you are loved by God. Before James tells us what to do, he tells us who we are. And before James tells you and the church what to do, he tells us who we are. And James is writing this letter and he goes, you beloved brothers, those who are loved, by God. James starts the middle half of this first chapter with, with this, 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 hey, this concentration and, and this, this commitment towards God's love for you. Do, you. do you feel unloved? Do you feel like you, you've been pushed to the side? Do you feel like you've been overlooked? Do you feel like other people have been loved more by God than you? James, I, we're saying today, hey, 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 my beloved brothers and sisters, those who have been loved by God, God, the, the creator of the world, the, the, big, the big man upstairs, like, like God who is over all, he loves you. He loves you. He loves you guys. Hey, back row people, he loves you. God loves all people. And James wanted us, James wanted the church to know this, but, but then he drops the hammer. He says, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Now, there's some things in throughout scripture that, that's really hard to, to digest, really hard to understand. Uh, a lot of times we'll come to church and maybe uh, Stephen will unravel a passage differently than you've ever read before. James is a different type of writer. Again, James just shoots straight. And it's not a whole lot of trying to decipher. There's not a whole lot of work I have to do on stage for you guys to help understand the book of James. Because James will just say it for me. Mark Twain reportedly said this, he goes, it ain't those parts of the Bible that I can't understand that bother me, but it's the parts that I do understand. James writes the part of the Bible that you and I understand. He says that every person that includes you to be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Do you speak first or do you listen first? Maybe you don't know the answer. So real quick, the person you came here with, turn to somebody right next to you and go, hey, do I speak first or do I listen first? Go for it. This is not a good idea. <laughs> and if you spoke first, <laughs> maybe you didn't listen first. But, but James tells us, he, he goes, hey, I mean, well, be slow to speak and quick to listen. Isn't, isn't that hard to do? I mean, I, I can't imagine what relationships had to have looked like before social media and cell phones where you actually had to like be in person to communicate. Yes, you could call on the telephone, but, but now like you and your spouse or, or, or me and Ashley, we can fight through text message. That happened to you? Where you can just shoot off text messages back and forth. You're not listening. You're just trying to, to communicate. 
through social media the last several months through the election. If you go back the last several months and look at your social media, were you trying to listen or were you trying to speak? Because James is telling us, hey, we've got to be slow to speak. You and I, we have a lot to say. We believe in a lot of different things. But James is going, hey, hey, real quick, Christian, real quick, those who are loved by God, I want you to know a few things. And this is one of them. Can you be slow to speak and quick to listen? What would your marriage look like if you lived that way? Or what would the coworker, how would your coworkers feel and the people who look up to you as supervisor, how would they feel if you were slow to speak but quick, quick to listen? Or what instead of... Uh, making statements towards those who you love. Maybe you ask questions so you can hear more about where they're coming from. I think our relationships in our life would look extraordinarily different if we listened first before we spoke. Verse 20, it says this, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Some translations say the wrath of man. This isn't just the, hey, if you get angry, you're opposing God. I mean, if somebody gets taken advantage of, I'm gonna be angry at the person who, who took advantage of. Uh, there's times in our lives where we can get angry when people are, are mistreated and, and misharmed. It's, it's, it's okay to, to get angry, but, 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 but wrath is this, this concept of going, man, I'm so angry and I'm not gonna let it go and I'm gonna do harm to the other person. James is actually saying, he goes, this type of anger opposes the righteousness of God. And the righteousness of God, it's a big Christian churchy term, but it's a very clear attribute of who God the Father is. It's that he is right all the time. He is righteous. Everything he does is right. Everything that he created was right. And everything he continues to do will be right. And the only way that you and I can enter into this righteousness is through Jesus. That Jesus' death on the cross actually made us right with God. There's nothing you and I can do to make ourselves right. You can't do enough things. You can't be a good enough person. It's only through Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross that made us right. But James is saying here, hey, be careful of your anger. Because if your anger leads to vengeance, it's opposing the righteousness of God. If you choose to live in anger, you're looking at Jesus hanging up on the cross and you go, hey, can you just hang up there for a little while? I need to go deal with anger. I got to go deal with this myself. And then you come back and go, okay, Jesus, you can finish dying for me. James is saying that, that, that anger is the opposite. It opposes the righteousness of God. Verse 21, it says this. James says, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. It's a lot of words there. I'm going to read it again. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. James is going, hey, okay, cool. Another thing that you need to do. You need to remove all the trash out of your life. You need to call the dumpster company and they need to put a dumpster on your driveway and you and your family need to begin to go in and out of your life, what you watch, what you listen to, how you talk, and you need to begin to take these things and throw them in the dumpster. Church, look right at me. It's time for some of us to take out the trash, not in our house, but in our lives. And James says, hey, look, man, if you want to be implanted with the word of God, the word can't be implanted in you. It can't be a part of you until you begin to take out the filthiness in you. What, what filth in your life do you need to get rid of today? What, what's the action? What, what's the show? What's the relationship? What are the hurtful words? that you need to get rid of today and exclude from your life and your vocabulary so the word of God can be implanted 
in you. It says receive in meekness. Meekness equals gentleness. Meekness isn't weakness. Meekness equals gentleness. If you're anything like me, if anybody ever tells me what to do, my, my first reaction is usually hands up. You're coming at me with fighting words. As I'm reading through the book of James and prep, you know, I'm reading it and I'm like, but James, you don't know my situation. You don't know my life. You, you don't know what I'm walking through. You don't know what I went through. And James is asking us, he's like, man, put the gloves down. Put your hands down. You, we need to enter into a relationship with God's word and God himself with meekness. I mean, many of the things James is asking us to do, man, they're hard. And as we're listening and reading the book of James, and as you're sitting in the crowd today, you're going like, ugh, Ryan, that's a, that's a lot to do. I'm going to fail miserably. I can't do it. And James is going, can you receive this with meekness? I, I know I'm, James, it feels like James is throwing punches, but, but can, you, can you put your hands down and receive it in gentleness? And then it says, can you, you, you will receive the implanted word. Uh, the, James says the word of God will be implanted inside of you. Bradley, he's three years old, my son. He came home from preschool uh, I don't know, a couple months ago and he had like a little uh, potter, a little, little bitty guy with some dirt and I guess a seed in, in, the, in the dirt, right? He had painted the outside of the little uh, pot and uh, he, he told us to put it on our, our, our kind of wind seal and, and needed sun and water to grow. And uh, he was pumped about this little flower or plant or weed or whatever it was in the, in the pot. And so we would water it and he'd come down every day and they'd water the plant and um, he'd watch it grow. And, and, and then eventually, right, you could see the bud, you can see a leaf, you can see a little, a little root or stem pop out of the dirt and Bradley lost his mind. You know, like, who knows what he was thinking, but, but something came out. I don't know if it was just like thinking it was just going to happen one day, but, but, but the plant actually was implanted in the dirt and it began to grow. And many of us, what, what we choose to do with the word of God is that we kind of set it here. We have our dirt, we have our water, we have our pot, and we never mix them together. And many of us will grab the pail, right? And we want to water our lives with scripture, but we don't even like water the scripture, <laughs> And the water is just being drained out in the middle of nowhere. And James is going, man, if you really want to be implanted with the word of God, it, it needs to grow and take roots inside of you. But before that happens, all filth, all dirt, all garbage needs to be removed. As you were preparing your yard for spring, right? Maybe you planted some flowers. And, and if you did this, you were wrong. But if you just dig a hole and throw a plant in there without cleaning out the trash, the roots, the rocks, uh, guess what? It's, the plant or the tree is going to have a really hard time growing. What you have to do is you have to prepare the soil. You have to prepare the hole. You have to prepare the place for where you're going to plant something. And this is what James is asking you and I to do. Maybe your disconnect with scripture is because you haven't taken the trash out. Maybe every time you, you read the Bible, it's just not speaking to you because there's filth, there's garbage in your life that, that you actually need to take to the curb. And Jesus, uh, James is telling us, every single one of us, hey, if you really want to be implanted with the word, take the garbage out. And James says this implanted word, is, it's able to save your souls. This Bible, the words on these pages, man, it can save you. This Bible can give you hope. This Bible and these words can give you a mission for your life that's just incredible. The words on these pages 
describe a love that's just unfathomable from God the Father. And James is going, this is a big deal. Like the word of God implanted in your hearts, once you remove all the trash, like this stuff will save your soul. It can also save your marriage. In Ephesians 5, it shows us how we should love our wife as Christ loved the church. It can save your finances if the borrower doesn't become slave to the lender in Proverbs 22. It can save your relationship with your kids, Ephesians chapter 6. It can save your headaches from dealing with fools, Proverbs 26. It can save you sleepless nights drowning in fear. Over 365 times throughout Scripture, Scripture says, do not be afraid. It can save you relational heartache by not dating unbelievers, 2 Corinthians 6. It can save you the pain and shame and regret of having sex outside of marriage, 1 Corinthians 6. But more than anything, this, this, this Bible, it can save your soul. This Bible can save your entire life. Do you read it? Do you water your life with this scripture? Verse 22, it says this, but be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourself. For if anyone is hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he looks like. Now, this is one of the nuggets in the book of James that's pretty well known that in the first chapter, James repeatedly says, hey, let's be doers of the word. Let's be active in our faith and not just hearers. Uh, let's not just come to church and hear something but not live it out on Monday. Let's not just read the Bible every morning but then not live it out ever. James is going, hey, hey, I want you to understand something that, that you can't just be a hearer of the word. You've actually got to be a doer of the word. And many times when we talk about this in church, people start getting a little uneasy and they move around in their chairs a little bit because you're going like, well, Ryan, you know, I'm, not a, I'm not a human doing, I'm a human being. I don't have to do all these things to earn God's love for me. And guess what? You're, you're 100% correct. At salvation, as we give our lives to Jesus, Jesus saves us. There's nothing we can do to separate ourselves from that love. God's love tank for you is consistently overflowing no matter what you do or no matter what you don't do. His tank doesn't fluctuate. His love is always full. But what James is saying here is he's going, hey, look, if you just know the word, if you just hear the word but you don't do it, I mean, you're a fool. It's like you look in the mirror and you forget what you look like. And some of us are like, I'll take that. I mean, it's crazy. It'd be like you looking in the mirror, the rear view mirror, knowing what you look like and then trying to describe yourself to someone else and you describe someone that looks completely different than you. It'd be like me going, hey, I have long blonde hair. I don't have a receding hairline. My eyebrows are very skinny and I'm a buck 50. Why are y'all laughing? I mean, it's ridiculous. But James is going, if, if, you're, if you're just hearers of the word and not doers of the word, you're a fool. And not only are you a fool, but people think you're a fool. We so desperately want our, our, our relationships around us to know the same Jesus we want. We know, don't we? Don't, don't we want people to, to fall in love with Jesus like we fall in love with him? But the scripture is saying, I mean, if you just hear the word, 
but you don't live out the word, you forget what you look like. And guess what? The people around you, they've forgotten what you're supposed to look like as well. James is going, man, if, if you're not hearers of the word, if you're just hearers of the word, but not doers of the word, we're in trouble. But, 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 but doing's not, not, not a bad thing. I mean, when you and I, when you got married or students, when you, when you decide to get married one day and you walk down the aisle and your bride comes down and, and there's an officiant up here and he kind of leads everybody in kind of a sermon and then y'all face each other and, and there's a couple, three ways of, of maybe um, really saying the vows in a marriage. You can either write your own vows and you're vowing what you're going to do, how you're going to be, how you're going to act for the rest of your life. There's one way of sharing your vows are very personal there's another way of the officiant asking you uh, to repeat a vow after, you know, each other and you say a vow and then they repeat. And there's another way of actually saying the vows and then the, the groom and the bride just responding with two words, I do. Now, now how crazy would it be if you're at a, a wedding, uh, your, your son's wedding or your nephew's wedding and you're sitting in the crowd and, and they, the officiant says the vows and the groom goes, I hear you. Heard. Yeah, you said that. I mean, that would be ridiculous. But, but, but many of us, we, we look at the word, we, we, we come to a Sunday morning, we hear the word teach, and we go, yeah, I, I hear that, Ryan. I heard that, Stephen. But, but it really is not planted in our hearts. When I was growing up in Sunday school, we would uh, memorize scripture. And this is great. Um, and if I memorized the scripture, I'd get a gold star uh, in Sunday school. And then if you got 10 gold stars, you got to like go in the goodie bag, which was like ridiculous because you got like a tootsie roll that's been there for three years. And uh, you're like, this is great. I don't know. And, uh, but you memorize scripture. But, but the call on our lives is not for the Bible to lead to information. It's to lead to transformation. Many times in our lives, we, we know the Bible. You and I, we, we argue the Bible. You know it. You know the story of the Bible, but, but, but is the Bible transforming your life? Same thing in, in dating and marriage. If you were dating a, a girl, if you're dating a boy and you ask them on the first couple of days, hey, what's your favorite food? Or what, what's your favorite color? And you never act on what they tell you. Well, guess what? Ladies, run. Like, if Ashley tells me her favorite flowers are tulips and hydrangeas and I never buy them for her, like good luck in marriage. I can't just hear and know what, 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 what she loves. And I don't do those things out of love. I, I, don't, I don't do those things for her love, excuse me. But I do those things out of my love for her. And then Jesus, I mean, James con continues to tell us more and more about how, how the word can transform us. The call of God in our lives is not to read the Bible for information, but for transformation. If we choose not to, James is going, hey, you're just, you're just forgetting what you look like. You're just taking up space. So what does scripture ask us to do? In Ephesians 4.32, it says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Are you forgiving people? Are you a hearer or a doer? 
Hebrews 13.5 says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have, hearer or doer. Ephesians 4 says, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Hearer or doer. Romans 12 says, repay no one evil for evil. 1 John 2 says, do not love the world or the things of the world. And Matthew 28, it, it tells us that, that we should all, you and I, we should all go into the world. We should preach the gospel. We should tell the good news about Jesus and we should be baptizing those people. Hearer or doer. You and I, many of us in this room, man, we're stuck. We're stuck in the storm of hearing and knowing what Jesus is calling our lives, but, but not actually doing what he's called us to do. This book, this Bible is so incredibly different because it's not just filled with pages of cool stories and morality. This Bible tells us how to live our lives and it demands that we live it this way. Betty Crocker has a great book of recipes, but she doesn't demand you to cook. And this Bible, James is telling us, man, don't just read these words and soak it in. You can't just read them, but you have to do them. And verse 25 says, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer he acts, he will be blessed in his doing. I love this. The law of liberty. Many of us, when we read the Bible, we get so frustrated with the Bible because we feel like it's going to change our lives and suck all the fun away from our lives and, and maybe handcuff us uh, from fun. That growing up, you were told, hey, no sex, drugs, or rock and roll. That the, the, the rock and roll was the devil's music and you had to not do this and not do that and not do this. And it didn't seem very freeing to you. But, but James is going, hey, hey, the, 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 these words on these pages, they're, they're not going to enslave you. They're actually going to give you liberty. They're going to set you free. Do you need to experience some freedom in your life today? Some freedom in your marriage? Some freedom in your relationships with your coworkers? Relationships with your dad or your mom? Do, do you need some liberty today? Do you need someone or something or, or some thought to cut the chain of bondage away from your legs and your arms and set you free into liberty? James is going, hey, I have the answer for you. And it's the scripture. And James goes, it's the law of liberty and, and, hey, and, and persevere. Being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Perseverance. James is going, man, I know, I know this is tough. <laughs> I, I understand that, that hearing is sometimes easier than doing. I understand life gets tough. I understand like, man, Ryan, you just rattled off seven things to do. And I know there's probably another 150 more things I need to do in our Christian life. And, and James is going, man, but you've got to persevere through it. James is going, don't, don't give up. Don't quit. Don't just fall down and stay down. Pick yourself up or have someone else pick, pick, pick you up. As well, just uh, last week, uh, Ashley and I and the family were on vacation to uh, West Palm Beach, Florida. Uh, it was an awesome, awesome time. But um, we were driving back 
from Florida yesterday and there was traffic that was terrible. Uh, a trip that should have taken us nine hours took us 12 and a half hours. It was me, Ashley, our three kids under six and a 92-year-old grandma. What's up? And uh, we were uh, hanging out in the minivan making it happen and the kids were losing their minds. Uh, Bradley had pooped himself twice. Uh, Carly was screaming for no reason. She's, she's two and she just would not stop talking. And, uh, and then like we're two hours away from Atlanta and we stopped for a potty break and my grandma asks me for some pork rinds. I don't know if you eat pork rinds, but pork rinds are gross and they stink. And we're in a minivan and I'm going, are you kidding me? I got kids who are pooping themselves and I got a grandma who's eating pork rinds. Like, I, I don't know if I can handle this next two hours. And I literally get home, guys, and we're putting kids in showers and sleep and we're getting everybody situated. And I'm sitting down to finish up this message and I'm like, I'm angry. Like, I, I can't do this. I, I can't preach on this message of what James is asking me to do. I can't receive this with meekness. There's no room for gentleness. And I get down on my computer to, to finish typing, and I'm like, I shut it. And I'm like, I can't do it. And I begin to pray, like, man, God, you got to transform my heart, my mind, my thoughts, and, and I've got to persevere through it. I mean, this stuff isn't easy, <laughs> and it's a lot. And every day we're, we're throwing different obstacles in our path. And James is going, I get you, but will you persevere through it? And as you persevere, it will lead to a blessed life. Hey, have you ever come uh, to a Sunday morning and then by like Tuesday, Wednesday, maybe it's your spouse or your kid or coworker, like, hey, I was church. You're like, oh, it was good. It was great. We had the best church in the world. Uh, hey, what, what do they talk about? And you're like, uh... Jesus. <laughs> and you've forgotten. You've done it. I've done it. I'll probably forget Wednesday what I taught today. Like it's, it's okay. But, but one of the biggest reasons you and I, we forget what was taught on Sunday because we hear it, but we don't do it. You hear the message, you read the scripture, but you don't live it out on Monday or Tuesday. And scripture wasn't meant to just be memorized. It's meant to go mobile. Scripture's not meant to just be listened to or to be heard, but it's meant to be active and mobile. If you're forgetting the sermons, it's not because of me, Sean, or Stephen. <laughs> maybe it is, I don't know. But it's because maybe you're not living it out or doing it on Monday. And maybe that's the action item for you, for me. <laughs> take one nugget of scripture, take one piece of the words of James and go, I'm doing this today. I'm gonna do this tomorrow. And as you do the word of God, you'll become more like Jesus. Verse 26, it says this, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. That's a wild statement. And we're going to talk more about that in a couple of weeks in James chapter three, where James talks more about the tongue and how we talk. And then James closes the chapter with this. Verse 27. He goes, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. That, that's what James closes chapter one with. Religion in the New Testament, it's, it's only used a handful of times and, and more times than not, the religion is, is just to kind of, kind of throw, th throw mud at, at the church. Oh, you think you're religious because you do the right things. Oh, the Pharisees, they, they were religious. 
Maybe you've said this or maybe you've heard somebody say this. Uh, it's not about a religion. It's about a relationship. Because we try to differentiate the, 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 the difference between a religion and a relationship with Jesus. But James is going, hey, hey real quick, I, I want to flip that word upside down. I'm not throwing mud. I'm not condemning. But I'm saying this, that that religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. You need to listen to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Tim Keller said this, he said, Christianity teaches that God hates the suffering and oppression of the material world so much that he was willing to get involved in it and to fight against it. Pure religion is this, widows and orphans, visit them. Now, now this is, as I'm reading it, I'm looking at James and going like, ooh. So every believer needs to take in a widow and every believer needs to take in an orphan. I, uh, <laughs> I don't know if that's what he's saying. Maybe it's a broader stroke. Maybe it's symbolic in nature. I'm not sure. What I, what I do know is there's over half a million kids that are orphans right now and, and over a million churches. Do the math, I think if we, as a church, take in one orphan and every church takes in one orphan, we could, we could end the orphan crisis. But maybe James is, is talking bigger picture here. Maybe the call in your life is not to, to take in an orphan or to visit an orphan or to visit a widow. Maybe what James is saying here is like, hey, those people who, who don't believe in God as their father, well, they're an orphan. They don't have a dad because God should be their dad. And those people who don't believe in Jesus as Jesus is the groom, they're a widow. So maybe the call on your life to do is to actually take in an orphan and to take in a widow or to go visit an orphan or go visit a widow. But I'm not even gonna toss that aside for a second. Just go, if it's not that, are you visiting unbelievers? Are you having a relationship with those who are widowed because Jesus isn't their groom? Are, are you visiting with those who are orphaned because God's not their father? Are you visiting them? Are you having conversations with them? Are you pursuing them? Are you running after them? Because James says this, he says religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father. He says, is this. Now, four, four months ago, my, my father passed away pretty suddenly. My father was the primary caregiver of, of his mom, my grandmother. I remember driving down there. My, my dad was in the hospital and I knew my, my grandmother needed to do something. And as I'm processing through it all, I was like, well, maybe, maybe I just need to bring her home with us. As I'm calling Ashley, man, it was like, we were both going like, God, this, really? I and mean, this is gonna be life altering, life shaking. As we're walking through it, we're praying through it, 
I have three kids under six. It's already a show at my house. You add in a 92 year old, reality TV. And I remember calling Joey McLaughlin, lead pastor at Elevate City, sister campus in Sandy Springs and first guy I ever mentored. And now we're kind of colleagues and friends. And I, I'm talking to Joey and I'm like, Joey, I, my dad just died. My grandma's alone. I, I know one of the clearest calls in scripture is to take care of the widow and the orphan, but I don't know if this is the move for me. And I'll never forget his words. He goes, Ryan, what other widow is Jesus going to land in your lap? Shut up, Joey. And at that moment, as Ash and I began to talk, and we, didn't, we didn't have a room for Mama Lee, that's what I call her. Our house wasn't prepared. But in that moment, I was brought back to when I was 13. When I came home from church one day and I looked my dad in his eyes and I go, dad, how do you have a relationship with Jesus? And he goes, I, I, I don't know. And the pastor came over and the pastor told me about salvation and Jesus and the, his death on the cross. And, and as I'm looking around at my life in that moment, I'm going, my family's a show. So inconsistent. I don't know who to lean on. And, and Jesus didn't go put me in a home. Jesus created a home for me. And in that moment, when people ask, Ryan, <laughs> can't you just put Mom Lee in a home? And it's out of their love for me. I'm like, ah. But Jesus made a home for me. And James is going, hey, don't, don't just hear the word. But Christians who are dispersed all across in the woods, can you please, 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 please do the word? And in that moment, for me, the opportunity that was granted for me, we were able to take Mama Lee in. What is Jesus calling you to do? And why do we do it? Because Jesus, he, he stepped out of heaven to earth. You and I, we, we were an orphan and we were a widow. And Jesus, he visited us. He came to earth. And he died on a cross and says, hey, if you believe in me, I will build a mansion for you in heaven. And I will be with you forever. There's so much throughout scripture that James calls us to do. But what is he calling you to do? What's something you've heard over and over and over? It could be life altering. It could be relationship changing. 
It could be a word from your vocabulary. It could be a change of job. It could be a different way to discipline your child. But James is going, hey, early church, hey, let's not just hear this stuff. Let's do it. He says, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, that person, that family, that church, that city, you'll be blessed. Let's pray. Jesus, I'm overwhelmed at your grace. Jesus, I'm overwhelmed at your provision. It makes no sense. (laughs) The call that you've had in our lives. Jesus, I beg, I plead that you give every single one of us in this room right now an opportunity to be doers, not hearers. And every single one of us, we leave this place and go, man, what can we do? Not not because we want to earn your love, but because we love you so much. Because you've loved us. What can we sacrifice? What can we give? What, What friend can we be a friend to? Because I want the world to know. I want the world to know that I'm different, that we're different, that this church is different. I don't want to be a fool anymore, Jesus. I want to look in the mirror and know what I look like. I want to look at the scripture and believe and know that I'm living it out and doing it. So I pray, Jesus, we become those people. One of the active ways you can be a doer right now is maybe you've heard all your life for the last weeks or months that Jesus is the savior of the world. Maybe you've heard that Jesus died for you and that he rose from the grave, that he loves you and cherishes you. Maybe you've heard that over and over and over again, but you've never done anything with it. And what we do here at Stone Creek is is we respond by praying to God and accepting, hey, Jesus, you're the ruler of the world. Hey, Jesus, you've died for me and I want relationship with you. I don't want to just hear about it anymore. I want to be about it. I want to do it. So Jesus, let me have a relationship with you. And if you prayed something along those lines, what the Bible says is that you're a new creation, that you've received salvation, that you have a relationship with Jesus and God the Father forever. And to mark this moment, not just to be a hearer, but a doer, what we do at Stone Creek is that we raise our hand to, just to mark the moment of us turning our lives over to Jesus. And so I'm gonna count to three. And if you did that today, I just want you to raise your hand. Ready, one, two, three. Praise God. Jesus, thank you so much for doing. Jesus, thank you so much for setting the example for us. And I pray, Jesus, we leave this place doers, not just hearers. In Jesus' name, amen.